Hey guys, and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. This is Jim, and I'll be your host today. We have a lot of uh, stories to go to, one of them very close to home here, and that is, we'll start right in. Um, the police are searching Lake Michigan for a 14-year-old boy in Grand Haven, and it says that the police and pedestrians alike are searching for a swimmer who went missing off of Grand Haven State Park Sunday afternoon. The search includes the Grand Haven Department of Public Safety, the Grand Haven Township Firefighters, the Ottawa County Sheriff's Office, and the Coast Guard, among others. According to police, the missing person is a 14-year-old boy, Imlive said, and he's from Grand Rapids. Beachgoers formed a human chain and waded through the four to five foot waves. Uh, in a 6.15 p.m. update, uh, the Grand Haven Public Safety Director, Jeff Hawk, said there are white caps on Lake Michigan making the search for the boy difficult. There are two long shore currents along the beach, along with a structural current along the Grand Haven Pier, making the search even more treacherous for responders. A Coast Guard helicopter was also aiding in the search. A red flag, at least at the time of this uh, recording, is currently flying at the state park, which is assigned to swimmers to stay out of the water due to dangerous conditions. It was also flying at the time the boy went missing. The power of the water is underestimated, and those currents can be very deadly, Hawk said to reporters on the scene. Hawk said he's not quite ready to start calling the search a recovery effort yet, but after over two hours missing, he said unless a boy is out of the water and just can't be found, it's likely the boy is drowned. This would be the first drowning this summer at Grand Haven State Park. Earlier this summer, two boys drowned at Holland State Park on June 6th. Those boys were 6 and 17 years old. And everyone but those assisting with the search are being asked to stay out of the water. And officials are not letting anyone into Grand Haven State Park as the search continues. Well, this is just a tragic story for so many reasons. Um... I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a family member or a friend of uh, a kid who turned up missing. It's bad enough to have uh, someone killed or die, but when you just don't know what happened to them, you don't know where their body is, it's just a rough thing. And you always, I imagine it's hard to have closure. You're probably always hope against hope, believing that maybe somehow, you know, he'll come back. Maybe he was just knocked out or something, you know, and you never quite have the closure of being able to go to the gravesite, know that he's resting in peace, you know. So I encourage all of you, if you're, if you're uh, the praying kind, to pray for the family of this individual, this boy, and for his friends. And if you're not, just send out warm wishes and things for them. It's just a tragic story. And uh, there's no indication that I saw in that article that he was swimming. I don't know if he just was swept off the water, off the pier. So, but still, it's, you know, if you see the red flags out, just be very cautious. It, you know, it might just be a good idea to avoid the pier altogether. But certainly if you have, if you're there, make sure you have someone who can be close by to help you if you're in danger. Now to state news. 
um, I have a couple of state articles. I, I have a couple of, that was my local one. I have a couple of state ones and I have uh, a couple of U.S. stories and then one world story, which actually relates to something we've talked about on the show a couple of, uh, for the past couple of weeks. So um, because of that, I'm going to get right into this. This is the uh, some information about the state. Um, the U.S. News and World Report from July 20th of this year has a headline that says Whitmer extends the coronavirus emergency. Now, of course, we know this. Um, it's just now coming to the news of, of the U.S. News and World Report, apparently. But um, we already knew about this. But they have a couple of interesting things in here, and I just want to read them. It says Governor Whitmer on Tuesday, well, whenever that was, um, extended Michigan's coronavirus emergency declaration through August 11th, five months after she first issued it, pointing to an uptick in new cases over the past three weeks. The move, which was expected, allows the Democratic governor to keep in place various orders designed to curb the virus, including certain business closures, limits on gatherings, a mask requirement, and longer unemployment benefits. She pointed to the state's death toll, at least 6,236 confirmed and probable deaths related to COVID-19. There were roughly 70 new cases per 100,000 people over the past two weeks, a lower rate than all but eight states. And that is from, uh, that was according to the Associated Press from data that was compiled by Johns Hopkins University. Uh, sheriff's deputies in the state's third largest county, this would be Macomb County, uh, will respond to business complaints about customers not wearing masks, but will not be actively enforcing the governor's tougher order. Macomb County deputies will treat a no-mask incident as a trespassing violation if a store owner calls for help, the sheriff's department said. If people want to complain about others not wearing masks, they should contact the attorney general's office, the department said Monday. We hope this clears up any confusion department said on Facebook, we encourage all people to wear a face mask. Now, under the measure, uh, violators can face a misdemeanor punishable by a maximum of $500 fine. Stores are required to refuse entry or service to people without a face mask. There are some exceptions, which they don't list here. Um, and then they just throw in that there have been deadly incidents over wearing a mask in Michigan. Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky from Clark Lake, a Republican, urged people to not challenge those without a face mask. There is no reason to risk your health or your life over the debate of wearing masks in public. Instead, we encourage people to wear their masks and treat others with respect and observe six feet of space if you encounter an individual without a mask. In her latest declaration of states of emergency and disaster, Whitmer, who previously paused the full reopening of the economy, said Michigan now faces an acute risk of a second wave, one that not only threatens lives, may, but may also jeopardize the reopening of schools in the fall. State emergency operations are still necessary to bring the pandemic under control, she said. State Republican Party Chairwoman Laura Cox said it is clear COVID-19 remains a threat, but the governor should work with the lawmakers having ha after having, quote, 
intentionally circumvented the checks and balances our system of government is built on, end quote. I do agree with uh, Ms. Cox there, the state Republican Party chairwoman. Uh, I, you know, this, the crisis isn't over. Some may think it's uh, overblown, um, but there still is a, a disease out there. That is, that is undeniable. Um, but at this point, we've already had five months of it. It's time for her and the lawmakers, I'm talking about Governor Whitmer, and the lawmakers to work together to figure out how we're going to move forward as a state. Um, this isn't this isn't like at the beginning when it was just an immediate threat and we needed immediate action because we didn't know what was going on. After five months, we have plenty of data that we can look at and start finding trends and figure out how we can continue to move our country, our, our state and our economy in a safe way. Um, and it should be with the input of the people's representatives. We, the people, should have some say in what's going on here. And since all of us in Michigan can't gather into the legislature building and, and have these meetings and make decisions, we send somebody as our proxy to Lansing to make those decisions for us in our steed, in our place. And that is what, and so she should not look at it as, I don't want to work with the Republicans or I don't want to work with the legislature. When she says that, she's saying, I don't want to work with the people because they are the people's representatives. We should have some say in what is going on. And so she needs to work with them, figure out a way that we can do this that remains safe, doesn't put lives in danger, but also doesn't cause an economic collapse, which is uh, we'll get to that later. There's a story about that very thing coming up. Um, this article is from Craig's De- Detroit Business. I, I may have that name wrong. I cop- I uh, transcribed it from another site just by hand. And when I look at it, Craig's doesn't sound right. It seemed like it was a little different. But it, Detroit Business, it's from July 20th. Um, if it's, if it's something different, I'll try to get that on the website and let you know so you can look it up for yourself. But, um, it says federal aid helps Michigan fill the $2.2 billion hole. Uh, This is the deficit, but the legislature faces another major shortfall. The article states, Michigan lawmakers will return to session this week to pass a multi-billion dollar plan to resolve the deficit caused by the coronavirus shutdown with a mix of spending cuts, a drawdown of the state savings, and a big influx of federal rescue aid. The framework framework of the deal was announced three weeks ago by Governor Whitmer and Republican legislative leaders. But now negotiations are ironing out specifics in hopes of patching the remaining $2.2 billion budget hole this week before turning their attention to another major shortfall in the fiscal year that starts in October. The first step is being made much easier thanks to $3 billion from the federal government in the form of a coronavirus relief law. The K-12 schools will see their base per student grant reduced by $256 billion, but then more than... Uh, I think there's something wrong with the verbiage in the writing here. 
unless I'm just not reading well. But they says that will more than offset with the $512 million to cover the COVID-19 costs they previously incurred or will face while preparing to reopen as of now in late August and early September. The agreement includes similar maneuvers for university, college, community college, and local government funding. There appears to be a wink and a nod understanding that the money, combined with fund shifts, can be used creatively to effectively address budget shortfalls, despite restrictions in the federal rescue packaging. Whitmer and legislators have been urging Congress to provide spending flexibility. Okay, um, having read all that and tripped over the words, let me just try to explain. So they... Basically, the, the federal government, when they gave these funds to the states, they put it in, um, they earmarked the funds that they can only be used for coronavirus costs uh, and to help, you know, with certain businesses and, and things like this. They can't be used just to cover budget deficits and just any 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 fund that the government, like if the government decided they wanted to redo the roads or our bridges or, you know, build a, build a moat around the governor's mansion that, that they, that the funds can't be used for that. It can only be used for coronavirus objects. So that's what they're talking about here is they're trying to think of creative ways to use the, the money, um, in a way of kind of a go around. And the, I, I guess Whitmer and legislators are urging Congress to allow some flexibility to say, um, we know you earmarked that money specifically for this, but we would like some exceptions to this rule. The state deal, the, the, the deal that they're working out among the state with the legislatures and the governor includes a $500 hazard bonus for each teacher. One sticking point is that it does not include a one-time pay hike for other workers like cooks and janitors. The Michigan Education Association the state's largest education union, is advocating that these funds be divided fairly among all school employees, not just the teachers, in recognition of the efforts of education support professionals throughout the pandemic, including sanitizing facilities, making and delivering meals, and completing other critical work to keep students learning, President Paula Herbart said. Uh, as part of the agreement, the state will pull $350 million from its $1.1 billion rainy day fund. It is just the second time that this will have happened in 15 years and will be the most taken out of the fund in 18 years. A key thing to watch for is details on the $490 million in savings. And they have that in scare quotes. I don't know what they mean by that included in the framework, and the impact on state workers and department budgets and programs. About 31,000 employees, two-thirds of the workforce, have taken temporary layoff days since May, some earlier. The furloughs could be extended beyond the end of the week. At the same time, an extra $600 a week in unemployment benefits that have been getting, they have been getting will expire unless the payments are renewed by Congress and President Trump. Both the state budget office and legislative staff were tight-lipped about the cuts, citing ongoing talks. Whitmer is expected to issue an executive order with reductions to departments after previously ordering them to, re 
to restrict discretionary spending, while some related moves will require lawmakers to vote. Um, but once, and here's where the sticking thing is, once law legislators comp complete the 2019-2020 supplemental budget, and they're hoping to this week, they will confront a projected $3 billion shortfall for the budget year that begins in more than two months. The strategy is to press Congress for additional funding in the next relief package, though the parties in the, in the nation's capital are divided over how much aid to send to cash-strapped states and cities that are pleading for money. Time is not on the side of the K-12 districts and charter schools that face uncertainty over their 2020-2021 funding while working on reopening plans that depend on what phase the region is in under Whitmer's return to school roadmap. Everybody's focused on the idea of getting schools back open again. That's the focus of every single administrator in every single school district in Michigan right now. But they can't answer all the questions that need to get answered until they have budget certainty, said Robert McCann, executive director of the Tri-County Alliance for Public Education. The group has estimated schools will need at least $1 billion more to operate during this pandemic, while the school aid fund could see a $1.1 billion shortfall next school year. This is going to start moving from a problem to a crisis very quickly in the next few weeks, McCain's, McCann said. So, oh boy, wow, yeah, they have some problems. They're really going to earn their paycheck, uh, the governor and the legislature. This is going to be a difficult thing, putting all this together and figuring out how to get schools reopened and what are they going to do next year because, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. Billions of dollars in a shortfall running that kind of deficit. And that's, I think that's just the education. I, I could be wrong about that. Um, but that's just untenable. It's an untenable position to put to put us in. And their only hope is that the federal government will give us more money. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I, it's, I, I don't know how much more the taxpayers can handle. I mean, they're we're, we're already paying all these unemployment benefits and Social Security and all these other items and, and welfare and all this stuff. And now they want us to they want to dip into our pocketbooks more to, uh, you know, to, to to bail out these states. I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like there's a win win situation here. It seems like it's all just lose lose. We either have to take more of our hard earned money and send it to states for the for the coronavirus uh, to, to fill up these budget holes, or we have to not fill them up and have our, our states fall into uh, an economic collapse because we have outstanding debt, we have to shut down everything, we may end up having a depression in the state. So it's kind of like, what, which, uh, you know, pick your poison here. Do you want to be stabbed to death or do you want to drink poison, you know? Um, you know, it's 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 not really either one of them is not exactly a great decision. Um, so, all right, now back to U.S. News and World Reports, and what we're talking about a little bit here is the rising coronavirus infections threaten U.S. economy re economic recovery. This is an article from July 16th, a few days ago. Um, rising coronavirus infections across dozens of states are threatening the U.S. economy. Ah, let me try that again. I just can't read very well today. Rising coronavirus infections across dozens of states are threatening the U.S. economic recovery, 
forcing businesses and consumers to freeze spending, and keeping the unemployment rate stubbornly high. The government reported on Thursday that retail sales rose a sharp 7.5% in June, but the positive trend was undercut by more recent data showing that credit card spending has stalled. A separate report showed that more than a million Americans saw unemployment benefits last week, a sign that companies continue to cut jobs as the virus slashes through the heavily populated Sunbelt. Economists fear that any positive momentum could come to a halt later this summer if infections and deaths rise and more businesses close. Conditions in the labor market remain weak and the risk of mounting permanent job losses is high, especially if activity continues to be disrupted by repeated virus-related shutdowns, said Robila Faruqi, chief U.S. economist at High Frequency Economics. It was the 17th, 17th consecutive week that jobless claims surpassed 1 million. Prior to the pandemic, just 200,000 people saw unemployment assistance in a typical week. Infections are now climbing in 40 states, and 22 states have either paused or reversed efforts to reopen their economies, according to Bank of America. Businesses and consumers alike are adjusting to the perpetual risk of outbreaks. Cash payments are out, deliveries are in, skeletal crews are keeping retailers afloat, it's a moment of both caution and innovation that will likely produce lasting changes in how Americans spend. Business as usual may never return because of the steps to improve safety also enable companies to streamline and operate with fewer workers. The total number of people receiving jobless benefits nationwide dropped 400,000 to 17.3 million last week, the government said suggesting that hiring in some regions could offset some of the mounting job losses seen last week in Florida, Georgia, California, Arizona, and South Carolina. But huge U.S. companies continue to announce layoffs. American Airlines warned workers Wednesday that it may have to cut up to 25,000 jobs in October because of sharply reduced air travel. United Airlines warned 36,000 of its employees last week that they may lose their jobs. The uncertainty of what comes next is heightened by the pending expiration of many of the government support programs that have shored up the finances of both businesses and families. The federal government's small business loan program will stop taking applications August 8th. More than $500 billion has already been loaned, and more than half of small companies that got loans say they have spent all the money, according to a survey, by the National Federation of Independent Businesses. Nearly a quarter of them say they have had to lay off workers or expect to do so once the funds run out. And an extra $600 a week in unemployment benefits provided by the federal government on top of the regular aid from the states will expire this month unless it's replaced or extended. These, those funds, along with the $1,200 relief checks sent out in April, enabled millions of Americans to stay current on housing costs and bills. So that's what was keeping them afloat. Now, if Congress doesn't do something, get their act together and get a bill to the president, then we're going to have deep, deep economic crisis in this country. Uh, we, the 
Businesses are shutting down. They cannot afford to stay open. They are having skeleton crews. And with the $600 a week that people were getting, they were able to go out and buy the necessities they needed and to stay current on their mortgages and their house payments and apartments and, and all their bills. If these things are cut and these people are not working and these and this expires, we're going to see massive unemployment and we will start seeing by the end of summer, you will see uh, more protests in this country, except it won't be Black Lives Matters protests. It will be protests demanding jobs, demanding food, demanding housing as we start seeing forced evictions. The Congress has got to get this deal done. And it's got to help people. Uh, I'm not a socialist by any means. I don't believe it is right for the federal government, for the federal government, to be giving these programs and this money to take it from one person to another. I don't believe that the Constitution gives you that right. But we are in a moment of crisis. This has been what we've been doing for quite some time, and we need to do it now. If if we're going to have the system where the federal government, uh provides unemployment and 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 subsidizes businesses, then now is the time that we need to do it because it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster if we don't get things under control. We will have an economic depression next year if we do not get this under control. Uh, the other big story that you may have heard if you've been watching any news, and I'm not going to go into this real long, but... Uh, NPR, which isn't my favorite source of information, but um, they had a little article here. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's not from NPR. NPR reposted it, so I don't know where it came from originally. But anyway, um, it talks about federal agents deployed in Oregon, and it's just a quick little article here. We'll talk about it just shortly. That is... Uh, Militarized federal agents deployed by the president to Portland, Oregon, fired tear gas against protesters over the weekend as the city's mayor demanded that the agents be removed and as the state's attorney general vowed to seek a restraining order against them. Federal agents, some wearing camouflage and some wearing dark homeland security uniforms, used tear gas at least twice to break up crowds late Friday night. The Oregon... Oregonian Oregon Live reported, protests against systematic racism and police brutality have been a nightly feature in the deeply liberal Portland since Minneapolis police killed George Floyd on May 25th. President Trump has decried the disorder and Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf blasted the protesters as lawless anarchists in a visit to the city, helping make the clashes between police and demonstrators a national focus. Um, I really think here the president should federalize the National Guard and send them in. Send them in. I I don't like this idea of people just coming in wearing camouflage without any markings, without any badges, without any kind of uh, um, checks and balances. I mean, we have a police force. If the police aren't doing it, that when you need to send in the National Guard is what I think. And if and if you can't do the National Guard, you send, send in the military. I I just, I don't know why Homeland Security has their own policing force. Anyway, uh, I'm a small government kind of guy. I don't think that 
the government should have all these policing forces and all of these agencies that have no accountability. I, I, I understand the problem and I understand that, and I agree that the president needs to do something, but these people um, are not, they're, the police have to follow certain rules. And these people are coming in like jackbooted thugs in the dead of night, grabbing people, throwing them into a vehicle, taking them to who knows where. Um, that is the kind of stuff that happened in Nazi Germany. That's the kind of stuff that happens in the Soviet Union or in Cuba or in Venezuela, where the government just sends people to snatch people off the streets and take them to places unknown. Uh, I just don't like the PR of that. I don't think I don't think it looks right. I don't think it is right. Send in the National Guard, send in the military to restore order, working with the police in that district, put in a curfew, tell people they have to remain inside or they will be arrested, this kind of thing. But just sending unmarked vehicles in with people wearing camouflage, we don't know who these people are. You know, if, if I'm out on the street and I see just some guy in a camouflage grabbing a woman and trying to drag her into the car as she's screaming, I'm going to do something. And then I'm going to be arrested for assaulting a, a federal officer because I don't know what's a federal officer. It's just a guy in camouflage grabbing a woman trying to pull her into a car. You know, they're not identifying themselves as, as federal agents. They're not, you know, I, I just think it's it's the wrong look. I agree he needs to do something, but sending these people, I mean, it, just, it, 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 just, it reminds me a lot of, uh, like I said, these other authoritarian nations. It also reminds me of the things that the Founding Fathers would have complained against when we were throwing tea in the harbor and things. If they had just sent in, if King George had sent in people just to kidnap people in the dead of night and things like that, the Founders would have been irate that you just cannot do that. That would, that would be in their list of the Declaration of Independence as the reason why we should revolt against the government because of that kind of behavior. These people have rights. They're wrong. They are wrong in their behavior, but these... People have rights, and these rights should be the right. They have a right to remain silent. They have a right to know where they're being taken. They have a right to an attorney. They have a, you know, they can't just be taken in the dead of night or just thrown in the back of a vehicle and being removed. And I don't know. This article doesn't talk about it, and I've not seen it anywhere else. I'm not saying that nobody knows. There might be articles about it, but I don't know. I've done some research, I, but it doesn't tell me where these people are being held. Are they taken to Guantanamo? Or are they being taken to a black locate, uh, 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 black site, meaning a, a site that, you know, like a warehouse that no one knows what it's for. It's just owned by the government and they're taken there or are they taken to the local police department? I don't know. So if they're taken to the local police department, I wouldn't have as much problem with it. If they were being arrested and then taken to the police department to be charged. Um, but if they're just being taken to some undisclosed location and that's just a violation of their rights. And even though I disagree vehemently with these protesters, they still have rights. And if we if we start saying we're okay with you taking away the rights of people we don't like, then our own rights become then what's going to happen ne next time? And it will happen eventually. A Democrat is elected president, and he starts doing this to gun owners. You know, in the middle of the night, we would all be irate, saying you can't do that to us. You can't just because you don't like what we're doing, or if we are protesting, like the militia did, or the not the militia, as we did at the Michigan House, when you had people out there with guns and things, if the federal government had come in and there was a liberal 
president and started grabbing people, throwing them back in vehicles and taking them to unknown locations, they would be outraged by conservatives who would say, you can't do that. You can't just take citizens off the street just because you don't like what they're doing and taking them to undisclosed locations. So I'll do further evidence. I'll do further research on that. And I will get back to you on this because I think it's a very important issue. If it turns out that I'm wrong about this, I will admit it because like I said, I think that something needs to be done. I just don't think this is the proper way to do it. And if it turns out that I have the story wrong or there's more to the story or, you know, as more details come out, maybe, you know, I'll tell you that I was wrong about this and uh, I'll issue a mea culpa, as they say, um, to let you know that I was wrong. Oh, my goodness, I'm getting close to running out of time, so I'm going to have to quickly go through these. The other, the other thing is a world news story that I just wanted to touch on. I won't go into detail because of time, but it's from the International Business Times. And it's the bubonic plague kills a teenager in Mongolia. And I wanted to bring that up because for three weeks, or for the past two weeks, I've been giving you stories about the bubonic plague found there in China. And then we found some squirrels, the bubonic plague in Colorado. And now there's a bubonic plague killing a teenager in Mongolia. And I'm just keeping you up to date. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that this is becoming a pandemic. But just want you to know that now this is the third week in a row that the bubonic plague has raised its ugly face. And you just never know. This, this individual, the 17-year-old, um, was eating a dead animal. Uh, I, they're very poor over there. I'm not, you know, it's not like he was just some ridiculous, uh, you know, like this is some teenage, uh, you know, fad over there that they like to, you know, eat dead animals. This was a marmot that he ate. Um, you know, they're very poor over there. And so, you know, I, I assume that since the animal was dead and then he ate it, would mean that he found a dead animal, either it was hit by a car or it just died and he took it and ate it. Um, and there's actually several other people who were sick too, um, but they are just, they're being treated for it. So, but anyway, just a reminder, if you see a dead animal, don't, don't make stew out of it. Don't cook, don't cook it, don't eat it. Um, and so we'll I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, uh, I'll just say the disease, it says here, the disease, the bubonic plague, typically takes hold one to seven days after exposure with symptoms including fever, headaches, and vomiting. And it does say that while it's not been as prominent as it was during the Black, or the black Death centuries ago, um, the Black Plague does occur every once in a while in Asian and African nations. Um, between 2015 and 20, or 2010 and 2015, there were actually um, 3,200 cases of bubonic plague in those nations. So anyway, I just wanted to keep you updated as that is uh, that story continues. Um, and hopefully that will be the end of it. But if there's more, I'm going to I'm going to keep searching for news on the bubonic plague and I'll keep you updated. Um, and then the last article real quick is from MSN Money. Um and it goes back to the economy, and I just wanted to end with this because, uh, as I mentioned before about the problems that we're facing, this is this is getting very serious, and I want you to read you this real quick. It's the upcoming deep trouble for the economy and the markets. It says, the economy and the stock market face an upcoming series of troubles without precedent. This can be explained directly by a series of events that have no analog in American history. 
The first part of this is context. The economy has been buoyed by the Federal Reserve and acts of Congress triggered mostly by proposals from U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. The two most critical proposals that have been put into effect are the Paycheck Protection Program and the Federal Pandemic Unemployment Compensation Plan. Each of these put enough money into the labor market to offset partially the unprecedented rise in jobless claims that has stretched on for months. Now these programs are nearly expired and their effects are over, and they may not be replaced by similar stimuli. Um, okay, the Federal Reserve has lowered the interest rates banks have to pay to borrow from the government to virtually to zero. Some of this has been passed to consumers, primarily through low mortgage rates. That in turn helped keep the housing market in good shape. Employment levels and not mortgage rates, however, eventually drive the market. Credit card interest rates and car loan rates generally have not dropped at all. Unless the government intends to spend several hundred billion dollars to further support personal income, the ability for people out of work to support themselves has disappeared for millions of workers. There is an illusion that 11% unemployment rate is a victory after the 14.7% one we had in April. The fact is that 10% unemployment rate was the worst monthly level of the Great Depression. They were at 10% unemployment. The economy was in horrible shape, even when the number was 8%. So if the current level remains over 8%, the economy is in shambles. The end of the government support is not the worst problem. If confirmed COVID-19 cases continue to rise, the crisis will shudder much of the economy for a second time. Some epidemiologists believe another wave of cases will start in October. It will be, by many accounts, worse than the first one, given a widespread and often undetected COVID-19 infected population throughout the country. The stock market cannot rise much more under these levels of pressure. The pullback in the early part of this year took the Dow Jones Industrial Average from 28,000 to 19,000 in a matter of weeks. If Apple, Alphabet, Facebook, and Microsoft had not held their ground compared to the market as a whole, the drop would have been much worse. The equity markets will start to fall as parts of the economy shut down again, and it becomes clear that 10 million or 15 million lost jobs cannot be replaced. There has been a sharp rise in mass layoffs recently. Jobless claims will start to rise rapidly again, too. The worst of this, from the standpoint of the stock market, will happen in the early fall and will continue for some time. Now, I know that article is a bit of an alarmist kind of article, and that is just a projection made by people who follow the markets, but it is still something that we should take seriously and think about. We are facing some tough times in this country, and it's not just the quarantine or the, epi or the uh, virus. The tough time is going to come with the economy when people when when people start pulling back and they start hoarding money, which will happen if they don't have money to spend, they will start hoarding money. They will quit buying out. Restaurants will start closing. Um, some people may start pulling money from their banks to to make sure that their money is is safe. And and then as soon as people start pulling money out of their banks, the banks will be forced to close because they don't have all that cash on hand, and then it's all over but the crying. I mean, we're off to the races. That's exactly what happened in the Great Depression. If people are afraid that they're not going to have access to their money, people will start freaking out. They will, they will save every penny they have. They will 
eat crumbs rather than go to the store and buy things, which, of course, causes the store and the suppliers to shut down. And it's just a horrible chain reaction. This is why in the inaugural address, FDR said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. He had to remind people that it is your fear that is causing the depression to continue. It is your fear that you will not have money and you will not have food and you and you will not be able to provide to your families. That is what's the greatest hinderment. Uh, that I that's not a word. Hinderment is not a word, and I don't know what the word is. Hindrance. It is the greatest hindrance to the economy coming back is the fact that you are afraid to spend the money you have because once you spend it, it's gone. And what happens if there's an emergency later? And I spend all of my money on food, and then we're about to lose our house. You know what happens if I spend all of my money on buying clothes for the kids and we don't have money for food or medicine or so they end up not buying anything and then they just like steal apples or live off of, you know, popcorn or something, you know, and then they're not buying anything because they don't want to spend that money because once it's gone, it's gone and they have no job prospects. And so fear is the biggest thing here. So I want you to be aware of this, that it is, it is not likely, but it's very possible that if we continue down this path and if the Democrats and Republicans in Washington do not come to some kind of an agreement, we are going to replay the Great Depression. That is, That will be a topper for 2020. We've already gone through the pandemic and we've gone through impeachment and we've gone through riots and we've gone through looting and we've gone through civil unrest and massive unemployment. And uh, who knows, we might have the bubonic plague coming back in no time and uh, who knows what else? The last thing we need is an economic depression to top off a horrible, horrible year. One of the worst years on record. I, I can't imagine. I started to say I can't imagine how it could get worse. We just were talking about how it could get worse. And uh, so anyway, just keep that in mind. I hate to leave on a bad note, on a, a worrisome note, but there's always hope, guys. Um, it doesn't have to be that way, but I want you just to be to be aware that this, we might be having some major ramifications by next year or by the fall if, if we don't get this thing settled. So it's better we're prepared than unprepared. To be prepared and maybe a little bit cynical and pessimistic than be happy and cheerful and ignorant and unprepared for disaster. So just keep an eye out. Look at the news. Pray. If you're a praying person, pray for... Uh, Pray that the government would work together, would find solutions for the problems, pray for our nation. And uh, anyway, I'll be with you next week and be sure to turn in t- tune into Tom's show. Uh, he's always got a lot of really great uh, comments and opinions and articles and things. So yeah, definitely check him out and we will talk to you next week. All right, bye. Bye.